Hello and welcome back to Take 97, a film podcast with me, your host, David Ingram. Welcome to another episode, guys, and today I shall be focusing on the 2022 film adaptation of the 2018 novel written by Delia Owens, Where the Crawdads Sing. And this film, I genuinely didn't see myself seeing it, but I thought I might see it at some point, but I didn't imagine myself seeing it in the cinema. I kept seeing trailers for this one, and I thought, it looks quite good, looks quite interesting, I might go and see it. Uh, and I did in the end, me and my girlfriend went to see this at our local cinema. It was a surprisingly delightful experience. And, you know, obviously there's some really dark, tough subject matters involved in this. But this film is, it was a delight to watch, really. It was something that I genuinely didn't expect to enjoy as much as I did. Uh, neither did my girlfriend, for that matter, actually. But genuinely, both the film and its original source material, the book, are described as a coming-of-age murder mystery. Now, you might think that sounds a bit of a weird combination, but when I explain this to you in some parts and tell you about what my feelings on the film were, you'll understand it a little bit more. But before we get into the nitty-gritty of who stars in the film, uh, what I'd rate it, my favourite parts, etc., all the usual bits, uh, remember to keep following us on social media, that's at Take97 underscore podcast for the regular stuff on Instagram, and same for Take97 podcast on Twitter, which we tweet our regular links to our new episodes, as well as the odd poll here and there, as well as on our Instagram stories to connect with you guys and see what you guys think. If you guys ever have a suggestion for an episode, please give us a shout. And um, any fellow creators and content makers, I'm looking forward to hearing from you. I know I've been in talks with some of you to do some episodes in the future. And listeners who just like to listen in on these, I look forward to sharing those episodes with you. But for now, let's get back on with the episode and talk about the 2022 film, Where the Crawdads Sing. Now, Where the Crawdads Sing coming-of-age murder mystery. Very strange combination of genres, but I genuinely think it was it's the right way to describe it, really. Just to give you a quick breakdown of who's in the film and what it's about. So first of all, in the film, and generally the characters that you'll come in contact with if you read the book as well, um, they are Catherine, or Kaya Clark, as she's known. So Kaya is her name, the main character, our lead protagonist's name. Um, she's a young girl, and she is played by Daisy Edgar-Jones for the most part of the film, apart from some of the earlier flashbacks where we see a younger child actor play Kaya Clark in her younger years. Uh, we also get the likes of um, an actor called Taylor John Smith playing the character of Tate Walker, Harris Dickinson as Chase Andrews, James Jumpin Madison, who's played by Sterling Mesa Jr. specifically, uh, Mabel Madison, who is played by Charlene Michael Hyatt, and Tom Milton, playing a ca uh, played by David Strafer, uh, who's a lawyer in the story, and we'll get back to him later. Uh, the film is set in the North Carolina area of America, specifically in the fictional town partially of Barclay Cove, and its neighbouring and surrounding marshlands, which is what the story is basically all about. We follow the character of Kaya, who is dubbed by the locals of Barclay Cove as the Marsh Girl, as nobody seems to know much about her, and all they know is that she lives in the marshes, so she is dubbed Marsh Girl. And although she does have a name, and she does have a very sad, sordid history with her family and everything, not many people pay attention to that side of things and don't actually take much time to care about her, other than um, the aforementioned some of the characters I mentioned, the husband and wife, James Jumpin' Madison and Mabel Madison, who are probably the only friends to Kaya 
in the entire story, aside from her two lovers um, that we get to meet during the film. As I said, though, this film, it follows Kaya's journey from a young girl all the way up to uh, 19-year-old Kaya and her romantic uh, relationships, as well as just general living within the marsh and how she lives and how she kind of comes to terms with who she is and who she can be and her potential as a human being. Uh, and there's some thrilling aspects as the film goes on. Uh, just a quick one as well. We do have in this film, the fi in the book, I think, I've only just started reading the book myself personally as of the recording of this, but with the book, we get this two intertwining storylines. And we do get that in the film as well, where we are presented with the 1950s all the way up to the late 60s, like the end of the 1960s, specifically 1969. Uh, I believe, I think it starts off in 1952, if I remember correctly, and then it goes up to 1969. So we see how Kaya and her family, who's actually quite a sizable family, actually, to be fair, herself, a mum and dad, or pa and ma, as she refers to them as, and her brothers and sisters, live together in the marshlands. And we get to see young Tate Walker, who played by Taylor John Smith in the older segments of the film, in the 60s segments, he is sort of introduced at the earlier points as a character of interest, this young boy who's rowing around in his own little boat in the canoe in the marshes and talks to Kaya uh, but Kaya's dad doesn't prove obviously like many of these sort of stereotypical relationships between the shunned away families out from mainstream culture and civilization uh, which is definitely the general sort of message and feel of the film and what I'm what I'm getting from the book as well is the sense that the characters who live in the marsh are not seen to be normal uh, and that's very relatable on many levels for any other sort of society even now and even you know across the ages where we get this sense of othering uh, and it's a, just a harsh lesson really this story on why you shouldn't other people uh, who really aren't actually there to mean you any harm they're just there to live their lives and they just want to get on with their own lives and you know that's how they want to live them stop bothering them kind of thing and there's a bit of a twist at the end of the film and book i would assume as well because i think the book is pretty much from what i understand the ending has been retained it's not like some books uh, that get adapted for big screen adaptations or tv ones where they tweak the ending slightly, like the recent Agatha Christie books, uh, the adaptations on the BBC. I know some details get changed, but this one I think, I believe I hear, has been fairly true to the original book for the majority anyway, with the odd creative licensing being taken for visuals, etc. But the film follows Kaya Clark, uh, so Daisy Edgar Jones for the most part. We are introduced right at the beginning of the film, actually. The film opens with this lovely, beautiful um, landscapes of the marsh in North Carolina, and we open up with the murder of quarterback and one of the most popular guys in town, 19-year-old Chase Andrews. Now, he is, let's just say throughout the course of the story, you'd learn to hate him, <laughs> basically. He sort of goes back and forth between wanting to care for Kaya and also being a bit of a douchebag at the same time. Uh, but he's not the initial, obviously I mentioned Tate Walker earlier on, he's the boy that we see at the beginning of the story when we actually go back in time and we see these flashbacks of Kaya's adolescence then and her youth then when she's with her family and beyond. Uh, and we get to see how she develops a relationship with Tate 
as well as obviously Chase later on. Uh, the true story, just a, it's a bit of context, it's not really a spoiler for the whole thing, but essentially this film, we go between the 50s and the 60s and like we progress in each of them and they progress sort of parallel as it were as we slowly discover the truth about how Chase Andrews was murdered and if in the majority of the case the big question that's asked throughout the entire film did Kaya the Marsh girl murder Chase Andrews uh, which is what everybody in the film in the town of Barclay Cove assumes that Chase Andrews was murdered by the Marsh girl because they had a an affair and he cut it off and she didn't like it so she murdered him that's the general perspective of the town of Barclay Cove but we kind of get to know Kaya. Daisy Edgar-Jones does a brilliant performance and she's a lovely, sweet, innocent girl who, for context, the backstory to Kaya is very heartbreaking. We get to see that she was actually abused as a child, basically. You know, her dad was an abusive man and wasn't the best person to live with. He actually caused the majority of her family, if all of them apart from her, to leave home. So one by one, uh, sisters... A brother, the brother of which uh, is um, Jody, I think he's referred to as, he comes back and we do see him reconnect with Kaya towards the end of the film and the story. But I, most part of it, everybody left home. It all started with their mother. Their mother left home and then gradually, one by one, each of the siblings left, leaving Kaya to fend for herself. And eventually, uh, and you know, her dad ends up burning every bit of existence to do with her mother and he ends up leaving, leaving her all by herself. And because she's all by herself, she has no means to, you know, really live by until she provides some, she ends up fishing for mussels in the marshlands and selling them to Mr. and Mrs. Madison. So James Jumpin' Madison and Mad Mabel Madison, uh, making an earning off of that. And eventually she gets to know Tate Walker a bit more and Tate introduces her to the idea of potentially publishing a book with her, you know, her, all her drawings and her mass amount of information about the marsh and such uh, once he starts tutoring her in how to read and write. Because obviously she tried mainstream school for one day and she didn't like it because she was taunted because of how different she was. And that's basically sort of the premise really. We get to see how she fends for herself uh, and she becomes a budding author, and things go quite well for her in that respect. But as the story goes on, we keep going back and forth between how she became who she was, this terribly shy and pained girl that's in a courtroom for the majority of the 60s, the, the later half of the film, like in that part of the timeline. And we get the character, I mentioned Tom Milton, who's played by David Stratham, who's a lawyer character. Now, I do think that this film, and indeed I would say the book as well in some respects, because obviously it's the same story. To me personally, when I watched this and after I finished watching this film, it did give me lots of vibes of To Kill a Mockingbird. Not the exact same, because To Kill a Mockingbird dealt with issues of race and racism within a small town community. But in a way, there is a similar theme of disregarding people who are outsiders to the general majority of the population within a small town environment. And that's generally what happens with Atticus Finch, uh, the lawyer played by in the film adaptation in 1962 of the 1960 Harper Lee novel. Uh, it, he tries to prove the innocence of a black man uh, in a very small town with very small opinions uh, of people who do not look like them. And obviously because of the context of the time, racism 
especially in the Deep South, was a big thing. And with this one, I do think you get, although it's not racism, you do get a similar essence of othering and exclusion of someone who's just different from the way everybody else is. And because she's unique and strange in some respects, people don't like it and that it scares them, it frightens them. But in some cases, and that's what the other part of the story brings us on to, we get these two guys. We have Tate and we have Chase. One of which is a little, he's a little bit more, his intentions are a bit more dubious than I would, you know, naturally assume. When you see the love story blossom between Tate and Kaya, it's a beautiful story. I mean, the performance, the relationship on screen between Taylor John Smith and Daisy Edgar Jones is absolutely beautiful. It's very raw, it's very emotional and it's very realistic in some respects because it's just there to live on the screen and there's none of this major central hollywood stuff that you get where immediately as soon as they meet they go full-on snogging every single moment although there is a bit of that at one point to be fair but i do think that their relationship so tate and kaya's relationship is beautiful he goes off to college though and leaves Kaya but promises he's going to come back and I think one of my highlights actually is the sequence where we see Kaya waiting for Tate to come back from college to visit her when he promised to and that was on the 4th of June there's a sequence set on the 4th of July and he goes I'll come and meet you on this beach uh, so there's a beach in the marshlands and uh, when the 4th of July celebration is going on I'll come back and it's a beautifully shot sequence it's um Daisy Edgar Jones character she picks up this dress which earlier on in the film she's given uh, I, I believe I think it's her mother's or it's something that someone gave to her anyway a nice dress and she puts makeup on for the first time she doesn't normally do that because she's very natural and she doesn't rely on artificial looks then shall we say but then she enhances herself and you know, does something, she thinks, do you know what, I'm going to do this, and goes to meet up with Tate on the beach, and she waits and waits and waits, and it's quite, it's absolutely heartbreaking, it's so simply done, the way time just passes, they flick between the scene of exact same space, but you see her sitting on the beach waiting, and as it gets gradually darker, you see that she is getting more and more heartbroken, and the contrast between her pain, emotionally as a character, with the bright vibrancy of the fireworks you know there's a sense of passion and explosions are going on so there's an explosion of celebration in the 4th of July but you've also got this explosion of emotions that she is dreadfully upset by the fact that she's been betrayed and that the promise that was made to her has been broken and she absolutely loses her temper <laughs> wrecks the place and just completely goes into herself and that sort of closes the chapter of that and I think that whole scene is just a beautifully played scene it's one of my favorites of the entire film and I just think it then shows you know she rebounds and she goes on to this guy played by Harris Dickinson Chase Andrews who it's very interesting because both Chase and Tate are interested in Kaya because she's something strange and different and therefore alluring to them but like I think that with Tate it was much more of a sweet innocence and because He's known her since they were kids, whereas Chase Andrews has only known the tales of the Marsh Girl in the gossips. And he thinks, all oh, that, she's strange and kind of alluring, but he doesn't quite, he takes her seriously, but he also doesn't take her seriously in a weird mixture. He's very much one of those people that he loves her, but only on his terms. And that's, that, again, another heartbreaking part of this story. It's just a, such a tragedy that 
she's opened her heart up twice and both times it's been broken once by someone who didn't keep their promise and the other by well basically breaking her trust essentially but in a different manner and i think with that it kind of makes you see why most of the marsh girl touters as it were so all the people of barclay cove think that she murdered chase andrews because at the beginning of the film we open up with the event where chase andrews is actually found on the floor of the marsh at the bottom of this um metal structure where he's presumably it looks like he's fallen through a gap a little fire hatch opening and fallen down onto the floor and hit straight to the ground and died straight away instantly but everyone thinks that she pushed him and as we go through i think the courtroom scene you know we get her sent to jail and we get to play on this emotional factor that we see in the trailers as well where she's driven and paraded through town as this a bit like in the old like the olden days where in the sense of like the 1800s were like the witch trials and stuff I, I feel like that's a good comparison as well. So I see lots of elements of To Kill a Mockingbird in this with the the way the trial goes and the way the trial is staged and that sense of an innocent being judged by a town that will not forgive her and will try and always find her guilty no matter what, despite the evidence that is clearly showing innocence and this sense of exclusion. We also get that sense of witch trials and, you know, witch finding you know hunting out the evil the evil in a town because bearing in mind this is set in the 19 a mixture of the 50s and the 60s but in the segments where she's 19 in the 60s where still people are very much prejudiced although i do find the one interesting thing actually in this it's set in 1969 which i know is i think that's you know the end of mainstream civil rights movements then so you know martin luther king Jr. is already dead by this point in history. Uh, we've already had the events of the Rosa Parks bus movement and all the other protests, etc. But we don't actually get that much commentary on the political standpoint or any of the social movements at the time. Uh, the story is very much focused on this moment. And I suppose you don't need to focus on the contemporary aspects of the film or, you know, context then, because the film deals with it in a way that it actually shows you how harsh the culture was at the time without having to talk about big big events so i talked about elvis before and i think that the film that deals with big events a big star whereas this one deals with the social attitudes of the time but on a smaller scale in a fictional sense but i just think it was very heartbreaking and very moving at times as well and like i said the fireworks scene that's one of my highlights i do believe that's one of my absolute favorite scenes um in the entire film uh, that's so well shot so well done there's no dialogue in it either really apart from maybe the odd scream of oh i'm annoyed <laughs> kind of thing but it's so lovely to watch not because it's a happy scene but because it's heartbreaking all in one go the direction in this film i forgot to mention the direction so directed by olivia newman i don't know this woman at all but i think she did a perfect job in directing this adaptation it was absolutely spot on uh, and the cinematography was beautiful throughout uh, by polly morgan notice that these are all female contributors to film as well i actually think these women have done an absolutely amazing job in proving the worth of women in film and why they should stay and why they should definitely start doing even more work than the male filmmakers of the past hundred odd years 
obviously we've got still got a long long way to go but i do think this film is a standout film up with you know there's some other key films directed by women which have already happened and that are going to happen but this one i think is a very good example and also the production company behind this or at least one of them uh, it's sony pictures but it's produced by hello sunshine which is founded by reese witherspoon and ironically reese witherspoon um, actually because i do have my copy of where the crawdads sing right here reese witherspoon actually comments on it in one of the reviews so on the cover it actually says so you've got stuff like unforgettable daily mail uh, vivid and original the guardian a rare achievement the times um, there is actually a lovely quote in here somewhere i think it's in the first page actually right here yeah i can't even express how much i love this book i didn't want this story to end it's quite funny actually that because she then made the story continue in a way by translating it to the screen or at least helping translate it to the screen by producing it for the big screen alongside um director olivia newman uh, and it honestly you get to the end of the film and you think wow like the story is clearly over because the way the film ends so obviously just a quick recap as well so we go through the coming of age trials and tribulations the loss of love the gaining of love and continuing to lose love again we get horrible scenes um, again spoilers ahead for anyone who hasn't seen it but we get scenes of rape so a little trigger warning there for you guys there are scenes of rape in this which if you're not comfortable with that kind of thing i would obviously warn you of that but the film itself it kind of it subverts you very differently because throughout the entire thing and this is the big spoiler you don't assume that she's actually guilty you think that she's gonna get hung you assume that kaya is going to die by the end of the film and that she's going to be executed by the death penalty you think one way and then it turns out to be something completely different so really unexpected i didn't want her to be found guilty as the film's going on i because i've never read the book before so i was fresh to this completely and i watched the film and when the trial scenes were being played out um, i think tom milton uh, the character of tom milton is a real stoic person to anchor yourself with he's so much like gregory peck as Atticus Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird, he has that standout performance, moments like one of those courtroom moments that you always wish that you want to see in a cinema film, uh, like a really cinematic film then, I should say. And I just loved every single moment. It was paced realistically, but dramatically and very poignantly. Uh, I don't like courtroom dramas generally. I've seen 12 Angry Men, and obviously there's the courtroom scenes and the likes of miracle on 34th street as well and obviously the many of the courtroom scenes in courtroom dramas you can see but this one didn't feel too much because it was a fluid piece that was presented alongside acted out scenes that were from kaya's past as well as moments leading up to the moment when she's arrested as well because the film actually is quite good because we open up with a bit of a thrill of the chase kind of thing we get to see kaya being chased by the police we assume that she's on the run because she's guilty, but then you get to know her slowly and you think she can't be guilty. She's an innocent. And that's a credit to Daisy Edgar Jones's performance as Kaya. And with that, it makes the last moments of the film really, really poignant. And I just think, taking it back to Reese Witherspoon's quote, it was such a good book, such a good story. I don't want it to end. I didn't want it to end either. And when the film finishes, you know, Kaya is found not guilty of murdering chase andrews uh, and there was a 
key piece of evidence, which I'm not going to actually mention actually too much, because I'll let you guys, if you've listened so far, you know the outcome, because I did warn you about spoilers, but there is one little detail which is revealed when Kaya is in her 70s, and she's uh, with the love of her life, that's all I'll say now, and we discover the big twist at the end that actually she did do it. But I'll let you guys see how that's played out dramatically because honestly, it's such a beautifully well-paced moment. And to me, it was really shocking. And that's how the film ends. And you're like, oh my God, like you kind of want to see more and see if anything else comes of it. But the way the film ends, and I'm assuming the way the book ends as well, you kind of close that chapter and you don't go any further than that. So that's all I have to say really on the dramatic emphasis highlights like i said i love the firework fourth of july heartbreak scene uh, the romance and chemistry between daisy edgar jones and taylor john smith's characters absolutely amazing the sort of attitudes of the time are translated quite well and we have this sense of othering and treating the outsider so differently that it's very painful to watch in times at times really to be honest with you and we get to see the positives so we get to see Kaya become a bona fide author. She publishes one book, which is part of her defense that she goes to see her publishers uh, the night that Chase Andrews is murdered. Uh, she publishes a book upon the advice of Tate because Tate gives her a list of publishing companies that she can try and get her book ideas and stuff out to the public and out to the masses. Uh, and it's quite really lovely, actually, that her publishers stuck by her because there's a lovely scene, which I think is where very well done where her, one of the men from her publishing company come up to her and go, when she's found not guilty, they say, now that all this mess is over, we can't wait to see the next book. And to me, that just brought a little, it brought a tear to my eye, it really did. Even though the twist at the end finds Kaya to be guilty, I genuinely think that this, you're rooting for her the entire time. And for me, that is why it's such a good story the testament to the book testament to the screen adaptation everything all at once it's a brilliant film i recommend this highly to anyone who hasn't seen it i will never stop talking about where the crawdads sing end of i loved elvis i love the great gatsby i love the classics of cinema west side story the wizard of oz all those kind of big ones casablanca you know i love all the big ones and all the new ones and some nuanced ones but this one truly is one of my absolute favorites of cinema so far and i hope you guys watch it because it genuinely is a delight so i'd rate it five out of five stars honestly i don't under underestimate this film it is pure joy and emotional key and emotional from start to finish so thank you for listening to me rant on but yeah like i said uh beautiful cinematography polly morgan Olivia Newman, great direction. Little fun fact as well, a lot of the settings, they filmed them on location in New Orleans and Louisiana. Like I said, Hello Sunshine, Reese Witherspoon's quite funny. She made a comment that's been printed in a copy of the book, and now she's the producer of the film. Uh, and I love the coming-of-age aspects of it. I love coming-of-age dramas, especially this one, actually, because it shows, a, as well as from a younger perspective as she grows up, you see a 19-year-old coming of age and sort of becoming more part of society and discovering who she is as she goes into adulthood. Because most of the time, coming-of-age films generally show you a teenager discovering their adolescent puberty stage of things, you know, first love, uh, leaving school, going to university, that kind of thing. 
Kaya doesn't have any of that. Kaya is a character that doesn't go for mainstream education. She is educated in the way of the world and her natural ways of thinking and living are translated into this book that she writes and ultimately in the world of the film inspire a lot of people and the book becomes a bestseller and in a, much the same way that where the crawdads sing Delia Owens if I remember right I think she's actually she also once lived in North Carolina she wrote the book in North Carolina which is where the inspiration for the book came from and I think there's some parts of this that are have been inspired by real life events. Not truly, 100%, but some of them have. And the book is so far, I'm enjoying it. It's very vivid in its imagery. And I think they've done such a great job in translating that to the screen, especially the marsh-based scenes where you just get to appreciate the beauty of the open space, of the water. Even when it's like a stormy night, you get to appreciate the beauty of how rain hits the leaves and that sound, that crackling sound of rain on water itself it's just absolutely beautiful to you know a beautiful sense of adventure and a great experience for the senses that's why i'd say where the crawdads sing five out of five stars a great experience and i'm so glad i saw it on the big screen it would have been good on the small screen but i'm so glad i saw it at a cinema and that i didn't just go do you know what i'll give this one a miss and i hope you guys don't either so if there's ever a rerun or if you ever get a chance to watch it again on the big screen, please do. But if not, please do give it a watch. And also just read the book as well, because a book adaptation is only as good as its original source material. And also the script that is the main foundation for the film itself. So guys, that's a wrap on Take 97, the Where the Crawdads Sing review edition of the podcast. And I look forward to seeing you on another episode very, very soon. Thank you for listening, guys. I'll see you later. Bye-bye.